Welcome to Spirit of the Hall, our Teddy Hall podcast series brought to you for Olarians by Olarians. My name is Ollie Belcher and I'm the president of the St Edmund Hall Alumni Association. I am delighted to bring you conversations with some of Teddy Hall's most fascinating alumni, fellows and staff. This episode is with Amanda Davis, one of CNN's main sport anchors. Amanda came up to the hall in 1998 to read geography, play tennis for the university and rode in Teddy Hall's first eight. Her huge commitment to the rowing squad meant she missed being at her beloved team Manchester United's greatest football game at the 1999 Champions League final to represent Teddy Hall in the summer eights. The whole crew has, you know, dedicated themselves to this. And so I watched that Champions League final in the Teddy Hall bar. Amanda was always determined to be a sports journalist. After the Hall, she joined Sky Sports as a runner, then the BBC, and then CNN nine years ago where she covered the London Olympics. It's difficult to put into words, actually, that London 2012 experience. On Super Saturday, we did 14 events. How fantastic. It was magic. Amanda has managed to juggle her crazy work schedule with motherhood and has spent the last year appearing on television with homeschooling going on in the background. Amanda, it is wonderful to have you here today. So welcome to Spirit of the Hall. And it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. And I just can't believe it was over two decades ago that we were at Oxford playing tennis together in the Cuppers finals. Do you remember that? Well, I, I mean, it, there was a lot where our uh, lives crossed paths, wasn't it? I mean, there was tennis in the Cuppers finals. There was rowing. We spent a lot of time in a boat on the river together. Our geography tutorials uh, and lectures. Yeah, it, it's, it's bizarre. So long ago, yet just yesterday and in so many ways. I know, well, I'm so delighted that this podcast has brought us back together again. So I'm, I'm going to start by asking you to cast your mind back to all those things. You came up to Oxford in 1998 to read geography. And before that, you obviously came for your Teddy Hall interview. Can you remember your interview? Yeah, it's funny. I remember, I think, probably more about the build-up. Um, my dad was working in London at the time. So I met up with him in London and we drove to... Oxford together the night before and he'd booked us a room at the Randolph which of course you know is a hotel you hear so much about so legendary and ultimately <laughs> we shared a room that was much too small in beds that were much too small and really creaky and really uncomfortable and we had dinner in the restaurant the night before and I think it must have been kind of a mix of nerves or uncertainty I ordered a tomato salad, which I remember so vividly, but I hadn't expected literally a plate of tomatoes to turn up. So that was that was my pre-interview dinner, a plate of tomatoes. And we had too much wine. We stayed up a little bit too late, which we obviously never would have admitted to my mum uh, at the time. And then on the morning, we were really nearly late because dad was driving to drop me off from the Randolph to Teddy Hall and we got lost on the one-way system (laughs) which I I don't know I haven't driven around Oxford for a while but I it is the stuff of nightmares kind of when you get stuck on there and you can't get off so I did ultimately make it and I remember being met by Pat Lance who I'm sure you remember he's very tall very imposing with his bright red hair and this huge welcoming smile Um, and he showed me up to my room which was in Bessie 
And the feeling I remember more than any of, any of it was kind of him showing me into my room, giving me a pack with all the info that I'd need for, for that couple of days, and then him closing the door. And I was just kind of left sat on my bed in the room in Bessie, waiting. And that feeling of waiting, I don't think will ever leave me. But I don't, I don't remember too much of the actual interviews, which I don't know whether is a good thing or a bad thing. Well, I, I had to admit, I can't remember mine too much either. But do you remember that feeling when you came out of your interview about whether you thought you would have a place or whether you thought it had gone well? No, I think it was just uncertainty, wasn't it? And I mean, they, there's no doubt an Oxford interview has a big build-up yes. <laughs> from, from everybody you, you know. Like, I don't know whether I should admit it or not, really. I wasn't somebody who had grown up dreaming of going to Oxford. I actually initially really wanted to go to Newcastle until it was suggested to me by a teacher at school that I should give it a go. And kind of then, you can't say no at giving it a go. And once you're in the system and everybody's putting, you know, you're putting the work in and people are investing in you in their time and their advice and their, that kind of sense of responsibility was what I was aware of. Yeah, you, you do feel the pressure, don't you, from all these different forces. So tell me, did you ever admit to your mum that you nearly missed your interview? no I think she's come to realize uh, later in life that when my dad and I kind of have an evening um, together and we we get chatting away um, it maybe isn't as early night as an earlier night as as she expected (laughs) (laughs) he actually he was so my dad did go to Oxford he was at St Peter's he did he did his um, undergraduate degree at Sheffield and then he did his teacher's training at Oxford so he did have some Oxford experience and and was far more kind of au fait with it than anyone else in the family so So did he he did he help you choose Teddy Hall I mean how did you the 45 colleges in Oxford how did you actually choose Teddy Hall yeah, um, actually, my school w- was connected to a boys' school, and it had a really good record, particularly the boys' school, of students studying geography at Oxford. I think there were eight or nine of the boys in the year above me who had got in. I think it was like some bumper year, um, and they'd all gone to different colleges, and so they had quite. A bit of experience of it and they were you know recommending the different colleges for for different people they suggested to me i should give jesus a go because they knew it was quite sociable and it was quite sporty but i just i kind of did my homework and i really i loved the sporting aspect of teddy hall and that was really ultimately what sold it to me Amanda, can you can you remember your reaction when you told you you had a place this is another one of those funny moments. I've actually had to ask mum and dad, like, do you remember the moment we realised I had a place? Because I had forgotten. If I'm being brutally honest, I had forgotten. And apparently I got a letter on a Saturday morning and dad reminded me of that, that the letter arrived and it obviously had the stamp so we knew where it was from. And I think, you know, my overriding feeling was then, oh my goodness, you know, that now means I've got to get the grades. You know, I'm, I'm going to say yes, because you don't say no, do you, when you're offered a place 
at Oxford and and the pressure then really starts ramping up um, my sister was really funny though she she said well I remember my reaction I said I hope you don't expect me to do the same thing because that's never going to happen <laughs> um, so you obviously you obviously did go on to to get the grades and when you actually yeah. got to Teddy Hall can you can you remember how it felt the first time you set foot in the front quad as an actual undergrad yeah I mean I don't think anybody forgets that, you know, packing up the car to the rafters and driving with my mum and dad and you know, I'm the eldest child so they'd never um, had one of their children go to universe, university before. And my mum had actually never been to Oxford even as a city before. So she stepped foot into the quad and literally burst into tears, like big sobbing embarrassing mum tears and Total just kept pride. saying yeah pride and just kept saying how beautiful it was and how she couldn't believe I was going and I think just the whole emotion of the whole thing completely kind of took over and in some ways I think that was probably quite a good thing for me because it meant I could focus on mum and the logistics of having to unpack the car. I mean, I don't think anybody ever forgets that unpacking of the car, carrying your duvet. I mean, in terms of people getting to know you as an individual, I don't know what you were like, Ollie, but I was never very good at, you know, carefully packing everything. So you kind of are essentially, you know, displaying your dirty laundry before you've even started, aren't you? <laughs> carrying your duvet under one arm and your pillow and your teddy under the other and everybody finds out a whole lot about you just by that journey of unpacking your car and getting everything into your room and so when you when you'd actually settled in and made your first friends and met your you know, tutorial group what was your what was your favorite thing about college i think if i take a step back people say what was it like when you went to oxford i think the one thing that's really struck me is the opportunities and I'd, I'd, you know, I'd say college and Oxford the opportunities and experiences that I got while I was there you know going on a a rowing tour to Milan which isn't quite as glamorous as it sounds because we were all sleeping on the um, were you on that? Yes, I was. I, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were sleeping on the um, um, the lilos in the sports hall, and I was so sick. I got really, really sick midway through. But you know, just rowing on that lake that Mussolini had built. I mean, I just I remember thinking this is insane, and we had to carry our blades on the plane somehow as hand luggage. Gosh, I've forgotten <laughs> Which, that. I've forgotten that bit. I had never, I have never done before and I have certainly never done since. And then you're going to the bakery and buying the bread and the ham and the cheese. And it was, it was really exciting. Didn't, it was didn't, proper... we, didn't we go to Barcelona as well? I don't think I went to Barcelona. I went on a tennis tour around Sweden and Denmark, which was absolutely incredible. And it was in December, which was a ridiculous time to go to Sweden and Denmark. And we stayed on a youth hostel on a boat in Stockholm, which was like something out of a film set. And we realized kind of too late that as a bunch of students, it was so expensive to get to those places. We then couldn't really afford to, to live and eat while we were there. So we just bought big loaves of bread and like tubs of butter and jam. And even though we were pay, playing these kind of epic tennis matches against some super talented 
um, tennis clubs. We were li literally living on loaves of bread and butter. And there was, I don't know whether I should tell this story, but there was a Russian member of the men's team. This was the university team. This was the university yes. team. Yeah, there was a Russian member of the men's team. Halfway through, this guy opened his racket bag when we got to one of our um, youth hostels and a gun fell out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd been travelling, we'd been travelling round and he'd been carrying a gun just in case we needed it for protection. Wow. <laughs> Which was hilarious. So, so, so having been, you know, sort of, you know, quite, quite fine, were you all suddenly a bit nervous? Yeah. I think I think the guy, particularly who was sharing a room with him, uh, suddenly <laughs> don't know whether you feel more safe or uh, or don't sleep for the rest of the trip. But I did. I mean, the other the other trip, which I um, went on solely through Teddy Hall, really was um, doing my dissertation in Mauritius because I won a travel prize and I won a journalism prize at the same time, and I I did kind of entered them both with the view that I wanted to put the money towards going to do my dissertation. Wow, amazing. So what was your, what was your, special. your dissertation on? Coastal zone management. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically spent two, uh, two months walking up and down a beach in Mauritius, which as somebody with uh, fair hair and freckles actually was quite hard when you're on your own. I couldn't, had nobody to rub sun cream on my back. <laughs> I think it's one of the best things about the geography degree is the opportunity to do a dissertation and as you say go away and immerse yourself in another culture and have all those immediate inroads into society so so it sounds to me like at Teddy Hall you were and, and Oxford you were obviously really busy reading geography and playing in the university first tennis team so then after Oxford in 2001 you went straight into sports journalism does someone um, encourage you or inspire you to take that path yeah I mean my dad had been a journalist um, and he was a, a journalist in the era where he did news during the week and he did sport at the weekends. And so I'd always seen him do what he did and particularly loved the sporting side of it um, and was very fortunate. I was able to go with him and experience kind of from when I was 12, 13, I decided that's what I wanted to do. So um, it was all for me about you know going through school, working we, we didn't have a school paper, but so we kind of set up a school paper and I always wrote the sports pages from that. And and when I was looking at university, one of the reasons I did a geography degree and one of the reasons I think I, I initially wanted to go to Newcastle, no disrespect to Newcastle, was that I was basically told it was, you know, it was in those early days of media degrees flooding the market and some were better than others. And there was still a lot of people working in media who didn't regard the, the media degrees particularly highly. So the majority of people I spoke to at that point said, look, do a degree that you'll enjoy, you'll do well at, and it will give you opportunity to, to do work experience and you know spend your holidays doing other things. So that was really the decision-making behind, behind what I did. When you left Oxford, you went straight into Sky Sports as a, a runner. Um, how did you open that first door and what was involved with being a runner? I worked through some of the holidays whilst I was still at Oxford doing various bits of work experience because, you know, it's not an underestimation, I don't think, to say, you know, it's who you know and it's who knows you and being in the right place at the right time. So, 
even while I was still at school, I'd spent every opportunity, you know, you'd write a letter and say, could you offer me a, work, a week's work experience? And they say, no, you can come in for a day. That's kind of what I did. And then when it came to actually nearly being in the real world and needing a proper job, I kind of wrote back to everybody I'd ever been in touch with and said, look, I'm now about to leave university. Would you have anything for me? I was offered actually a runner's job at the BBC and I was offered uh, a runner's job at Sky and I had spent more time at Sky and I felt I knew more of the people at Sky. So what you, as a runner at Sky in those days, you became like a member of the runner's pool and you earned 60 pounds a shift and you would be doing a different program each day. And that's how it worked. And when you, when you were exposed to all these different directors and and um, different sports, was there, um, were there any that you thought, actually, I, I really want to be there? Yeah, I mean, football is what I'd grown up with because of my dad, really. And I, I, th I suppose in my head, I had thought I was going to work in football and that was kind of the ultimate goal. The reality, actually, I ultimately, my first proper job that I took was on tennis because that was the sport I'd played. Equally, I knew it. And I thought it was it was a smaller team. I think the stakes at the time were a bit lower working on tennis than they were at football. Everything was completely scrutinised, and there were, you know, there were people who saw me as um, Amanda Davis, David Davis's daughter. And I, as much as I'm proud of that, I was very keen to prove myself and that I was there um, and deserved a job and was doing it in the right way. So actually I, I kind of took quite a considered move to into tennis at the same time as kind of keeping my hands in with football. And so, so you actually got into your first, from the tennis to football in, I mean, I believe you covered the 2006 World Cup in Germany. Was that your first transition into the football world? No, so yeah, I, um, I started at Sky Sports and then I, I worked my way into Sky Sports News because it was a bit more um, of the, well, funnily enough, as the name says, the sports news side of it. And you cover a bit of everything and there's a bit more of the writing. I felt it was a bit more of a training ground in terms of being a journalist at Sky Sports News compared to Sky Sports. So when I went to the, to the World Cup in Germany, yeah, I was a, an on-the-road producer, which was insane, right? I, I was 26 years old. We had a team of 30 um, at the World Cup in Berlin and I was kind of ringmaster. You must have been the youngest person or that not um, I was one, yeah, I was most definitely one of the youngest um, people and we had uh, Kelly Dalglish or Kelly Cates as she now is, was one of my um, presenters and Dave Jones was the other one uh, of my presenters and we had this incredible studio on the roof of a tower block, the Corbusier House, which overlooks the stadium in Berlin. And I mean, it was, that was my first experience of working on a World Cup. I knew it was long, I knew it was gonna be hard, but it was insane. And I got home and I was ill basically for three weeks yes. um, afterwards. Because you were just so we, exhausted. It, yeah, but it, it was brilliant. Did you, get to, did you get to watch every single match? No, no. So what, one of the things you come to realise about the job that I do is you spend as much time at sporting events um, stood in the car park opposite the stadium as you do okay. inside the stadium. 
you know, I haven't done too badly at all in terms of um, major sporting events I've been to or not been. To. In fact, I haven't told you. I, I should have, I, the, the story I should have shared from Teddy Hall days is my biggest ever regret in a sporting sense, but I hope will show my commitment to the Teddy Hall rowing cause was I gave up my ticket for the 1999 Champions League final that my beloved football team, Manchester United, were in. And it is without doubt now looked back on as one of the greatest nights ever in football. And it was Manchester United in Barcelona uh, against Bayern Munich. And they came back from defeat in literally the dying seconds. Um, my dad and I had followed United. We're lifelong fans. And the, the match was the Wednesday of eighth week oh, in 1999. No. And of course, when I took up rowing, I didn't know that I was going to be involved in eighth week. I didn't know that Manchester United were going to be in a Champions League final. And I had to make a call. And my dad kept saying to me, are you sure you're making the right call? And I said, we've been training all winter it's eight week the whole crew has you know dedicated themselves to this and so i watched that champions league final in the teddy hall bar wow but tell, tell 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 me that you bumped in eight weeks no we got bumped you got bumped. like oh no what a disaster <laughs> we, it was horrific we got bumped in like the first 15 seconds and, Amanda, um, tell me this, was I coxing you? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't like to disclose, Ollie. <laughs> I feel terrible if I was coxing that boat when you missed out on the Manchester, you know, the, 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 this amazing football match. Yeah. Oh, and awful. like dad rang me from inside the stadium and I was in the bar. I just, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. But I still, uh, I'm, yeah, there's well, no going back. Well, it shows commitment. It shows commitment. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. There we are. <laughs> oh, well, fantastic, fantastic. And and so so after your going back to your 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 career after Sky News, in you went over to the BBC in 2007. What what events did you cover during your time there? I had an amazing experience at Sky, and I was able to do so many different things across all the different departments, and it was an incredible learning experience for me. But ultimately, I wanted to be on air, and the opportunity, the best opportunity for me for that came up at, at the BBC. And when I, I mean, I, I'd made my on-air debut at Sky on Sky Sports News, but when I look back now, and essentially my early days on television, we're on BBC World. So making my mistakes to too many millions of people <laughs> around the world, which is actually ridiculous when you think about it, but that was the, re that was the reality of it. So you know, I, I did BBC World, I did the BBC News Channel, I was lucky enough to do BBC Breakfast on the red sofa. Um, so I would fill in for, for Chris Hollins and Mike Bushell when uh, they were having days off. And then I, I think my proudest moment probably was I, I had my own football show called Sports World and we had live guests and we had viewers Skyping in from around the world discussing the, the, the football issues of the weekend. And that felt really, really special for me because it was the first time really that I'd had my show 
and it was properly inclusive speaking to fans and getting their takes from you know the different parts of the world and and it was great and it really showed you know the unifying force of football it must that must be really hard to leave when you moved over to CNN I think it was 9 years ago now yeah 2012 which is frightening and it was it was a real it was a really big decision but the opportunity came up at CNN it was and it was ahead of the London 2012 Olympics which I knew I was going to be part of for the BBC but you know some it's not often in life I don't think that people come to you and say we want you um, and that's what happened at CNN you know they they came to me and initially they said we're thinking, you know, maybe we'd like you to come and do a couple of days um, a week for us. And I said, well, I don't really want to do that. And then they came and they said, no, you know, we want you um, to come and work for us. And we want you to front our Olympics coverage. And it was just one of those fantastic opportunities. So did you do the um, Olympics for CNN for both London in 2012 and Rio in 2016? Yeah, wow. and I've done a couple of Winter Olympics now, and yeah, the London the London Olympics was so special. Just, I mean, it was exciting being British and in London, wasn't it? Mm. And I actually moved from my home in in West London over to East London, and we had our studio there, we had our flat there, where we all kind of lived, worked. It's difficult to put into words, actually, that. London 2012 experience. On Super Saturday, we did a, a feature, which was, let's see how many um, Olympic events we can get through in one day. So myself and my crew would come up, we had our maps and we had our accreditation and we had buses, you know, it was literally kind of buses, tubes, running, taxis. And we started at the triathlon in Hyde Park at silly o'clock in the morning. And then our final event of the day, we made it into, we did 14 events and we went to the Excel and um, we did Horse Guards Parade for the volleyball. And then we made it to the stadium, literally as the bell was going for Mo Farah's final lap wow. on his 10,000 meters. And just the roar as we went into the stadium. Um, How fantastic. It, it was magic. It was magic. So were you were you there for the opening and closing ceremonies? So <laughs> this is again the the, the 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 not the smoke and mirrors of what we do. I was in the closing ceremony, watching it as a um, fan, I suppose, and being able to talk about it the next day. The opening ceremony, no, I watched on television from our studio because generally with these major events, when you're at a network. You, you essentially are trying to cover 24 hours in a day on air. So London, I very much did the early shift. So I was up at three o'clock every day because um, we're covering international. So I was always kind of on air from, I think my it was like on air 6 a.m. until 2 p.m. live from our studio, which was overlooking the stadium. I had heard the opening and closing, uh, the opening ceremony because we were staying just next to the stadium. So we heard all of the rehearsals. I actually did an interview with David Beckham. Do you remember the opening ceremony? There was all that secrecy around what was gonna happen, who was gonna light the tour. Yes, yes. Um, and it, it became a big national secret, didn't it? You know, we are not gonna ruin the surprise. And I did an interview with David Beckham two days before, three days before. And at that point, there was a lot of talk. Maybe it was David Beckham who was going to light 
the flame eventually. And I'd heard he did two interviews before me and he gave nothing away, absolutely nothing. He was like the consummate professional. And I thought, well, I can't do the same interview again and he's going to tell me nothing. So I thought, right, I'm going to fire questions at him, quick fire. So I said, I thought I was going to do yes, no. So I said, okay, does your role in the opening ceremony have um, children involved? No. Does your role in the opening ceremony have animals? No. Uh, footballs? No. And I said, does it have a flame? <laughs> <laughs> and he grinned and he said, yes, I think there may be a flame aboard. And he said the word aboard and his face fell like, and he realized he'd said too much. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push him. Yes, he might, he might get fired and, from his role. <laughs> and afterwards they were like, okay, you can say he's, ha he's using a flame, but please, please, please don't use the word aboard. We can't let anybody know that he's aboard anything. And then of course he was, he was aboard a boat going up the Thames with the, but um, there was such an investment from everybody. They didn't want to ruin any of the wow. surprise. Wow, so you were all um, in it together. Yeah. Fantastic. So it was great. Absolutely amazing. So, so, so moving on to now, you're now hosting um, the sports show World Sport and also the monthly Formula One show, The Circuit. Is that correct? Yeah, my, my main job with CNN is we have a daily sports news show on CNN International uh, called World Sport. And it, it's a half an hour show. And it really is very much tackling. It's not so much X has beaten Y or Y has beaten Z. It's, it's more tackling the issues and the sports news stories uh, of the day. Okay. So, so what, what would your typical day look like running the show? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think one of the things I love about the job is that there isn't a typical day um, and there's lots of you know so when I'm hosting the show if I'm hosting the show Monday to Friday when we're in the studio we're not working from home um, you you get up you read in on the way into the office we then have a, a production meeting and our crew it's, it's quite unusual at cnn um, compared to other networks our crew is split half in london and half in atlanta when i arrived at cnn i very quickly uh had to grasp the fact that so much of our of what we do is done remotely and and teams you know we have a big base in hong kong um we have a you know a big base in um tokyo so you have to very much get to grips with that kind of transatlantic nature of what we do. But we'd have, a, we'd have a production meeting, talk about the stories of the day and how we're going to cover those stories of the day. At the same time as putting into the show what we've already got pre-produced. So your interviews, I, for example, today, sitting here at home, am cutting together an interview I did with Mick Schumacher, son of Michael, who is set to enter Formula One this season. So that would be one bit of content that we'll have plugged into the show. Or, you know, okay, the big breaking story overnight is Man Manchester City have been thumped 10-0, oh <laughs> which only happens in my dreams. But we, you know, how are we gonna cover that? Do we need a guest to, to cover that? Have we got enough content ourselves? And my job, is then to write the show and do any research for any interviews I've got live. So I will do that, then go to makeup, uh, which of course is a very important part of the day, <laughs> and then jump in the studio and host the show. Wow. 
So, so you you mentioned how CNN is um, headquartered in Atlanta. How do you juggle these sort of, I imagine, strange hours um, with home life? <laughs> um, I think juggle is the best word, um, and it is a juggle. It's it's a mega juggle. I'm, I'm not going to uh, lie. I have an amazing daughter who's uh, 11 years old. Who, I mean, the plus side is that she knows where for example, Turkmenistan is right. <laughs> because mummy's been to Turkmenistan and she's not afraid of suggesting that we should be going to ever more fantastic places on holiday um, because she thinks it's so part of normal life to, to jump on an aeroplane and go and see a part of the world. But no, I have a very large filofax, which is the butt of many a joke in the office. It's very old school. I use my pencil uh, to write in my file of facts, never use pen because you need to very often rub things out and put them in somewhere else. Um, I have and I have an amazing team and an amazing family to to kind of help with the with the juggle. We get by, I think, is the best thing, and hope that we don't drop any balls. Yeah, yeah. And I have I have to say, actually, Ollie, there's so many people in my profession over this year who have been decimated this year by everything that's happened in terms of the cancellations and, and their whole work calendar has disappeared. I've been incredibly fortunate that I you know, have kept my job and I have still you know, had work to do. So in that respect, I can't begrudge the juggle. It has been a juggle, I'm not gonna lie. And you know, having some conversations about the impact of the death of George Floyd, well, <laughs> <laughs> Molly's been on a musical theatre lesson singing Frozen <laughs> at the top of her voice. <laughs> there have been a few awkward moments like that. Or, um, you know, her coming to show me her sourdough caterpillar that she's made in art as part of their clay modelling uh, unit. It's be that's I have to that's been really funny. But um yeah, it's the end is in sight, and I think it will it will be interesting to see the long term impact of this year, won't it, for for everybody and for and for all the. Children. Do you think? I mean, the end is in sight. Oh. I mean, thank goodness we're seeing a bit of light at the end of, of this tunnel. Um, do you think you'll go back to your job as it was? You know, back to traveling around, or do you think things will be done a bit differently now? Um, now we've all embraced technology, and now you've been working from home, etc. That's the big question, isn't it? Uh, I mean. I don't think you can replicate the reality of me doing an interview and looking at somebody speaking to them face to face. It's just not the same on Zoom. You don't get the connection. You don't get the, the subtleties of somebody's body language and, and pick up on those little nuances. I, you know, I don't like sitting here at home talking about the experience of a sporting event that I haven't experienced because you do see so much on the ground. You're in the Formula One paddock, seeing who is talking to who, what conversations are, are people having? You know, Do you see somebody get out of a car and throw a water bottle down in anger that you wouldn't know if you hadn't witnessed it? And you know, that kind of stuff, and the value of that kind of stuff for doing what I do shouldn't be underestimated. But I think from a, you know, from a financial point of view for a lot of companies, a lot of industries, from um, an environmental perspective for a, a lot of industries, I think there will be 
a reassessment and a, and a recalibration. And it's one of those things I've talked about with a, a lot of different sports bodies over the last few months. You know, how much of this has been dealing with the immediate crisis and getting through the pandemic with their sport intact? And how much have they been able to take a step back and say, okay, what can we learn? What can we change? And what can we do differently long term? And I think we're probably still in the midst of that. You know, I, I hope I will still get to go to the Olympics. My name is still on the list to go to the Olympics. We, ho we hope the Olympics will happen. So Amanda, this, as you know, this whole series is, also, is, well, is about the spirit of Teddy Hall and how it has shaped us all. What do you think the spirit of the hall is? <laughs> I, th I, I sat and thought about this. I think it's work hard, play hard. I remember my days at Teddy Hall of being so much fun, but yes, a lot of work. And uh, the balance between, it's kind of encapsulated by the bar, really. You know, on the one hand, you've got the rugby team sitting there having their big night out. On, on the other hand, you've got people sneaking in for their coffee, yeah. <laughs> coffee doing an all-nighter in the library. Um, <laughs> And it's a bit of both. Yes, I, I totally agree. And and have you um have you kept up with friends from Teddy Hall? Um, I think my college son, who you would remember, Ollie, um, David yes. Williams, he makes a, a real point of uh, often pointing out to me how much I bother about him far more now than I ever did at college, <laughs> which feels very unfair. But yeah, we actually see each other um, quite a bit because there's there's a few Olarians who who I do cross paths with in sport they work in sport um you know there's a couple of tv execs reese beer and josh smith's the same he used to work at fifa he's now at the premier league and it is amazing you know zigzagging across the world and speaking to, uh, di to different sports people and different organizations how teddy hall people crop up like Ivan Gazidis, who was at Arsenal, he's now at AC Milan. Anna Botting, who's a journalist at, at Sky. It's, it's really lovely. Amazing. Yes, the, the power of the Teddy Hall yeah. Network. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Amanda, before you go, I'm going to ask you to leave us all with three favourite places of yours. One in the Hall, one in Oxford, and one in the world beyond Oxford. Can you tell us what yours are and why? Yes, okay. Um, which way would you like me to start? Whichever way you, whichever way you want. I think the world, I kind of have two because I, the world I would say home and I've really come to value home. As in Manchester home? No, home as in my house. Your house, your house. My house and my family. Um, and I've really, really embraced that this year and, and have loved being here um, at home and living a, a life in a slightly more low key manner. And I don't think I'd be the only one who's kind of come to realise that this year. But if I was then to look outside, I would say Mauritius, um, as in you know, Mauritius has a really special place in my heart. Back, back to the dissertation days. Because of my dissertation days and I've gone back, I've been fortunate enough to go back a number of times and see how it's changed. And I actually went to a FIFA Congress there for work, which was very funny um, a, a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, because of, because of the time there, it always has a very special place in my heart. Um, from Oxford, this, I found that a really hard one, but I think I'm going to go with Queens Lane and the Bridge of Sighs because 
it always makes me smile every time. You know, when you see it in films, when you see it on TV, I have happy memories of kind of wandering to the School of Geography and, and it feels, even though it's not Teddy Hall, it feels to me like my experience of Oxford, you know, running down there late for lectures and um, it makes me smile. And then the hall. I mean, does everybody, I don't know, you've done a few of these, I know. Does everybody say the library at Hall? <laughs> no, I've been amazed by the, by the variety of answers, actually. Okay, so I think I would say the library. And I, I love- We've had the chapel, we've had the old dining hall, we've had the bar, we've had the library. <laughs> yeah, so. I love, sounds like a, a scene from Cluedo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I loved bringing my daughter to college a couple of years ago and taking her into the library. And it always feels really magical. But I, I wouldn't just say the library. I loved hiding away, working in the tower in the library. And it was, you always felt like you'd won when you got a desk in the tower. And I feel like you could hide away there and work for hours. And just not be disturbed. Not, yeah, I really enjoyed, I used to enjoy that. So I would say the tower in the library at Teddy Hall. So with finally, a Amanda, <laughs> if you could guarantee one thing about Teddy Hall that would never change, what would it be? The sport, because it was what took me to the hall in the first place. It was what kind of sold it to me. And I, and I can't ever underestimate the value of what sport has done for my life. Um, and I didn't, I don't think I really ever realized the importance of it as a, as a woman, as a female. I was, I think I was so incredibly fortunate that my mum and dad exposed me to sport as a girl without questioning it. And I've, I've come to realise later in life that that isn't the case for so many girls. And you cannot underestimate that the power of what sport can do, not only for you as an individual, but in the bigger picture of, of life. And so, yeah, I would definitely say the sport. Fantastic. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for your, for your time, that incredible insight into life as a sports journalist. And you've done phenomenal things at such a young age. And it's been a real privilege to, to hear it all. So thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to be part of it. It's been a, a real privilege. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Amanda about her exciting yet demanding life as a sports journalist and how important she believes sport is for everybody. Our next episode will be with Akash Maharaj, who came to the hall in 1993 PPE. Akash was JCR president and went on to become an equestrian star representing Canada. He set up the Mosaic Institute focusing on conflict resolution to help build bridges in communities rather than focusing on differences. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.